Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. friends and welcome again to Christ Church. My name is Michael and I'm one of the pastors around here and I'm going to be talking to us today from Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to open up your Bibles uh, to the place where we're going to be located, that'll be it. And as you look there, I want to do a little thought exercise with you. Uh, it's not quite a game. That makes it sound more fun than it is, but it is going to require a little movement. So let me see if your hands are working this morning. Can you flow them around a little bit for me? Okay, cool. It's a simple true or false. Some of you, your hands are not working yet this morning. So we'll, I will pray for you. And um, it's a simple true or false game. So I'm going to say a statement. If you think it's true, uh, raise your right hand. If you don't think it's true, you can raise your left hand, okay? So super easy. Uh, True or false, an electrician, person who, you know, works with electricity for a living, all this stuff, an electrician should be able to install a ceiling fan. If you think that's true, raise your right hand. All right, cool. Most of you, yes. Uh, A teacher should be able to write a lesson plan. True. Cool. Some of you don't have very much faith in teachers, but most of you do, okay? Um, a quarterback coach should know how to throw a football properly. Okay, uh, y'all are very passionate about that. Welcome to Web City, everybody. Um, let's see, a woodworker uh, should know how to hammer a nail and use a drill. Pr- be pretty good at this, yeah? Be pretty good at this, cool. Last one, a Christian, person who follows Jesus, should be pretty good at prayer, yes? Yeah. Most of you raise your hand, Yeah. Like most of us are on the same page thinking, yeah, like if a person is going to say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus, I, I worship God, I follow Jesus, I'm reconnected to God, we're reconciled, we have a relationship. We would think that, right, like people who are describing themselves in these ways or who are this would be pretty good at praying, talking to God. And we, we'd be kind of with the majority of people in, in forming this opinion. A couple of quotes from different folks who've wrote about prayer. One from a guy named P.T. Forsyth, wrote a book called The Soul of Prayer, an older book. He says, uh, prayer is to religion what original research is to science. So if you're a scientist, like doing research and learning how the world works, it's like what you do. That's his point. If you're, in, if you're like a person who's a religious person, you believe in God, you worship him, you're going to be a person who prays. Similarly, another writer named Richard Foster has written a lot on spiritual formation and prayer. He says that all who have walked with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. So people who do life with God are people who pray. Again, this is not a complicated thing. But at the same time, I've met very few, actually zero, Jesus followers who would suggest that they have prayer all figured out, that they know everything there is to know, that there's no room left to grow, that they don't need any more help, that they're good. Now think about this. Like if you have a woodworker, it's not weird or arrogant for a woodworker to say, like, I don't need to learn anything else about how to hammer a nail or how to use a drill. I know everything there is to know about this. I'm good. No thanks if you're offering me help. I know what I need. Like, that's not weird. That would be expected. And yet again, like, I don't know of any believer who would say, oh, you're going to talk about prayer. I'm good. Like nothing you could say could help me because I've got everything I need and I know how to do this perfectly and we're fine. And I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest and put it like this. And not too long ago in my ministry, I experienced some anxiety when I would think about people coming to me and asking me to teach them how to pray. Like, it's not that I wouldn't have anything to say or I don't know the right places to take them, but there's just a part of me that's like, you, you want me to teach you how to talk to God. Are you sure? You know, it's just, 
It feels a little bit fake. It feels a little bit false. Like, I'm not an expert on this. How am I supposed to teach you on this? And I don't, I don't know. What would you say? Like, what would you think or feel if somebody came to you and said, hey, can you teach me how to pray? be an interesting experience. Hopefully it's happened to some of you. Hopefully it will happen to many of us as we continue to move forward. Teach me how to pray. And let's flip it around. Different question. If you could ask anybody to teach you how to pray, dead or alive, who would you go to? Like if it was a live person, maybe you'd say like your grandpa or your, you know, one of the pastors or something, somebody you know in your life group or in your neighborhood. If it's dead or alive, I think we're probably all going to eventually say the same thing. I would ask Jesus, you know, like in this case, the Sunday school answer is the right answer. If I'm going to ask somebody to teach me how to pray, it's probably going to be the person who's closest to God because it like was God in flesh. I'm going to go with Jesus. And again, in asking it this way, we'd be in good company. Uh, the passage that we're looking at has two forms, and we're going to camp out all morning in the one, um, on the one in Matthew chapter 6, but there's a similar prayer Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 11, and what happens in Luke 11 is Jesus goes off to pray, and he comes back, and his disciples, the guys who walk with him, like they're with him 24-7, they spend all kinds of time with him, they see everything he does, they know all about his way of life and everything, and he comes back from a time of prayer, and the disciples say, can you teach us how to pray like you do? So far as I can tell, this is the only time we have on record of the apostles, the disciples, the closest followers and friends of Jesus. The only time we have on record of them asking him to teach them how to do something he does. They never say, can you teach us how to cast out demons like you do? Can you teach us how to win debates like you do? Can you teach us how to love sinners like you do? They don't say these things, but they say, can you teach us how to pray like you do? And it kind of makes sense. Even if you're the most unreligious person in the room and you're wondering why you're even here and maybe somebody brought you or whatever and you're just thinking, I don't know much anything about faith or God or whatever. Even if you're the most unreligious, unknowledgeable person in the room, you probably get that like, like G- the reason Jesus came in some sense was to reconnect us to God and that being connected to God has something to do with prayer. So it's just not that much of a jump to connect Jesus to prayer. And we would probably expect to find some wisdom for prayer in Jesus' most famous sermon. We've been studying this thing called the Sermon on the Mount these past couple of months as part of our gospel series where we're walking through Jesus' life chronologically. And the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching found in Matthew 5 through 7. And we would think that in this sermon where Jesus lays out, like what Mark said a couple weeks ago, he said, this sermon is about living in the blessing of God's kingdom. So living the good life, experiencing the good things that God has for us when we live in his reign. You would expect that a sermon about this would have something to tell us about prayer. And that's precisely what we find. We would expect to find help and we do. Actually, right smack dab in the very middle of the sermon, Matthew chapter 6, we find what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I want to read it together with you. So turn your attention, if you would, to your text, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to focus on the prayer itself in verses uh, 9 through 13, but I want to get a little bit of context for us. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Here's what Jesus says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. It's a word meaning mask wearers, fake people. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then he adds kind of a footnote, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So here you have, again, very middle of the Sermon on the Mount, a teaching about prayer. And it follows a similar format that Jesus has been using when he talks about other things. It's like there's a worldly way to do things, don't do that. And then there's a typical religious way to do things, don't do that. Instead, let me give you a better way to do things. And he lays it out for us. That's what we see with prayer here. And I'd like to suggest as kind of an umbrella over everything that we're going to say today, all the things that I'm going to talk about, I'd like to suggest that the main thing we should kind of keep in mind as we talk through this is that Jesus gives us everything we need to pray well. In this short passage, Jesus gives us everything we need to pray well. And I say this because I don't know about you, but prayer is, is hard for me. Always has been. Prayer's always seemed strange to me. It's always seemed weird. And it's, it's never been something that I just feel like comes natural to me. Maybe for some of you it does. And if so, that's awesome for you. But for many of us, I think prayer is this kind of weird thing that we know is supposed to be a part of what we do, but we don't necessarily know what to do with it. And in my life, this confusion sometimes results in me justifying why I don't pray more than I do. And what I want to suggest to you is that Jesus cuts through all of our justifications in this short passage and gives us everything we need to pray well. There's a lot he says about prayer in other places. This is the heartbeat of it. And this right here, you can walk away from understanding this passage. You can walk out of this room equipped and encouraged to pray. And that's my goal, really. All I want to do today, I hope it's pretty simple, I think, is just to say a few words about these few words that encourage and equip us to leave this place ready to pray. I'm not so much going to try to inspire us to pray or say that we should pray. There are other texts that do those things. This one is about instructing us. This one is about removing that obstacle that we sometimes feel when we say, I don't really know what to do. So like, I'm going to pray. What does that mean? Like, where do I start? I don't know how this works. I think Jesus removes that obstacle here. And that's what I want to do with us together. And I will say this for some of you, like this may, this might be a refresher. If so, great. For others, it may be a kick in the pants. If so, if that's what you need, awesome. I will tell you who I've had in mind more than anybody else. For whatever reason, as I prayed and prepped this, I, I, God has kept bringing my attention back to those of you who are going to be asked by someone else, can you teach me how to pray? Maybe, maybe you work with our students as a youth sponsor or you work with our older kids or you work with new believers or whatever and somebody might say to you, can you teach me how to pray? I want to talk about this text in a way that you walk out of here confidently going, if somebody asks me to teach them how to pray, I know what to say and I know what to do myself as well. So the Lord's Prayer. Uh, one last bit of introduction. I know I'm doing a lot of upfront stuff and this is kind of strange but I think it will make sense why I'm doing it. I want to tell you the application first. Because I think if I tell you what Jesus wants to do with this first, it'll help us talk through it in a way that's maximally beneficial for us. So two things I think Jesus wants us to do are really simple. First of all, pray this prayer. Like as it is, just our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, so on and so forth. Pray this prayer. Virtually all Christians everywhere up until like last century when everything became informal and informal was cool, everybody who, who kind of walked by the name of Jesus would memorize this prayer and pray. And I would encourage you to do that. Get it in your mind. Get it, get it in your mouth. Like first thing in the morning, before you reach for your phone, just take 20 seconds and say the Lord's Prayer. So pray this prayer. I think if you do that over time, it will start to shape you. But then secondly, pray this way. This has been called a pattern prayer. I think it's kind of a template for all prayer. 
That's what I want to say. This is why I wanted to say this up front, because as we talk through it, I think you'll be able to see how the specific, you know, individual lines help us understand the kind of things we could talk through as we talk to God about what's going on. So without any more delay, let's jump into it. Let's talk about prayer. And I've called this prayer 101 to try to remind us that uh, we're going to keep things super basic here. And I'd suggest to you that there are three simple ingredients of prayer. And if you have these three things, you have good prayer. And uh, we'll keep it, we'll keep it, we'll go triple A. That'll be our little formula today. So it's easy to remember. Address, align, ask. If you remember those three words, I think you know how to pray. Address, align, ask. Everybody say address, align, ask. I honestly, you, you get a little bit about those. I honestly believe you know how to pray. So let's start with the first one. We'll spend the most time on this. Address. Now, not like address, not like where you live, <laughs> but address. How you speak to God, how you speak to someone. This is most important for a few reasons. It, for one thing, like the foundation of good prayer is having a right view of God. Knowing what God is like. Understanding who he is and how to approach him. And generally speaking, if we're going to interact with someone, we want, to know, we want to know what this person is like. If you like, get a new boss or if you meet a new person in the neighborhood, you're one, like, are you a patient person? Are you impatient? Are you like an introvert or an extrovert? Are you sarcastic so that I should know that you're probably joking when you say hurtful things? Or are you like, like sweet so that you're not joking? If you like, We want to know what, what, what is this person like? How am I supposed to interact with them? And in a similar way, when you think about relating to God, talking to him and listening to him, it makes sense to ask, what's he like? What kind of a, kind of a God is he? What's he going to think or how's he going to respond when I say this or do that? So we address him. You ever notice how our relationships are defined by how we address one another? In formal relationships, we usually use titles like sir or ma'am. We demonstrate respect to somebody in a certain position. We might say Mr. or Mrs. Or we use their actual title. You know, call somebody a principal or, or, or president or coach, whatever it may be. In most of our casual relationships, we just use a first name basis, right? Like I'll call you your first name. You call me my first name because that's just kind of how we roll. But in our close relationship, we use nicknames. You should ask somebody later on, what nickname did you have when you were 14? It's always a fun question. Sometimes they don't want to tell you, but you might learn a little bit about them. Like nicknames. We have shorter versions of what we call each other, buddy or sweetheart or honey or love. We do this in our romantic relationships. We call like dear or honey or sweetheart or sweetie pie or whatever. A long time ago, I saw this report coming out of London from a jeweler who said that some of the most common pet names that he gets requests for whenever he engraves jewelry over in London are things like uh, sexy pig was one of them. I'm not making any of these up. Monkey boy was another one. Uh, Poo face was one. Lobster. So you single fellas, just give it a shot. Hey, lobster, see how it goes, you know? <laughs> Another one was uh, Fatty Boom Boom. So they don't use the same words we use, but we, we, we get this. Like you have certain ways you refer to people when you're in close relationships. So the first thing to notice about Jesus' prayer, well, I guess first of all is that he tells, does not tell us to call God Fatty Boom Boom. But the first, <laughs> first thing to notice about his prayer is how he tells us to address God. That's how it begins, chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. That's the phrase. Whatever this means, our Father in heaven, whatever this means is crucial for praying well. We can even say that addressing God is what makes prayer, prayer. This is another reason why the address is so important is because it actually separates just thinking from praying. 
Often we'll say to one another, I'm praying for you, or I prayed for that, or I'm praying about this, and we're not actually praying about it. We're thinking about it, or we're worrying about it. (laughs) Two different things. And it can be valuable to think about things, but there's a difference. And thought or speech becomes prayer the moment you say, dear God, or dear Jesus, or our Father in heaven. So our Father in heaven, what does this address tell us about the kind of God that we're praying to, about praying to God as he truly is? And let's kind of approach this from a little bit of a backdoor angle, if we could. If prayer's going to work, then we need to trust God. It's kind of a basic idea, right? Like if this is going to be what it's supposed to be, we need to know, trust that the person we're talking to is trustworthy. And so I think that when we address God, we should address him in such a way that reminds us whether or not he's trustworthy. So think about this with me. What does it take for us to trust someone? And I'd suggest to you that one of the simplest ways to think about this is that for me to trust someone, I need to know that they have the necessary power to take care of me and the necessary love to want to do so. I need to know that they're strong enough. They have the ability to provide whatever it is I need from them and that they care about, uh, care about me enough to actually do it. So like think about a trust fall, kind of a classic. You remember a trust fall, you stand there and you fall back and you don't move your body. Somebody catches you. Beth showed me this picture the other day of a dog doing a trust fall on Facebook, which was really weird. But we do this like as humans. And we taught our kids this not too long ago, which fair warning, when you teach your kids this, they think it's awesome. So now Claire, she'll like climb up on the back of the couch, daddy, trust fall. (laughs) And if I hear those words, I better run because she is going to fall because she trusts me because she knows that I have the like necessary abilities. I have the, I know how and the physical strength to catch her. And I love her enough not to let her fall and hit the ground. That's what we're looking for. And how interesting is it? I don't want to say how surprising or or ironic, because it's not surprising or ironic. It's kind of what we would expect. How beautiful is it that when we look at the way that Jesus tells us to address God, this is precisely what we see. You are talking when you pray to a God of deep love. Our Father is the key word here. Fifteen times in the very short Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to God as our Father. I don't think this is an accident. I don't think this is a coincidence. He's telling us how to think about how God thinks about us. We address him as father. Problem though, every time I think about this or talk about this, I'm keenly aware of the fact that for some of us in the room, the word father is not exactly a positive part of our story. Every time I think about this prayer or addressing God as father, as Abba, as dad, I think about this kid, Travis, who was part of our ministry in the church we used to work at and he was a student, went to a conference, went to a CIY conference actually, uh, years ago, and he experienced forgiveness for the first time in his life. And he had had a rough upbringing. His father was abusive mentally, uh, verbally, and physically, and it's just I mean, a rough situation. So he comes to this thing, and he, he hears the gospel, and he accepts God's forgiveness in his own life, and he just, he wants to extend it. So he goes outside, and he calls his dad on the phone. And he says, dad, like, I know, like, we both know you've, you've not been a great dad, but I just want you to tell you, I've had like a spiritual breakthrough and, and I I'm, I'm, know I'm learning who God is and he's forgiven me for my sins. And I just, I just want to tell you, dad, like, I know you've not been great to me, but I want you to know I forgive you. And he waited. There was a pause. And all he heard on the other end of the phone was, you're an idiot. Click. It's going to be hard for Travis to understand what it means to call God Father. And it's hard for some of you to look up at the heavens and to say, Dad, and for that to be a positive thing. And I don't want to suggest as sensitively as I can that the answer is not to abandon the word, but it's to let God himself redeem it. Maybe what you need more than anything else is to think about the word our. 
in the Our Father. Don't miss this word. Not just Father, it's Our Father. And it's not just you and me saying Our Father, it's Jesus looking at you saying Our Father. Do you catch what he's saying? It's the first person plural pronoun. He is including you in his relationship to God. He's saying you and I. Jesus is saying you and I look up and say our father. In other words, Jesus is telling you, my dad wants to be your dad. And my dad is a good dad, Jesus says. He says later on in the very next chapter when he's talking about the the God, the father, about how God takes care of us. And he says in chapter seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He asks some questions. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God looks at you and says, I want you sleeping in my house, eating at my table, asking for money from my wallet. I want to be your dad. When you come to me, you address me as Father. Jesus says, talk to him the way I talk to him. A Father's love protects us, guides us, provides for us, defines us. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible comes from one of Jesus' close followers, the Apostle John. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You come into the presence of God as his child. You belong to him. You're his. I don't know what the world has told you, and I don't know what doubts and evil thoughts lurk in the corner of your mind, but Jesus is saying that the God of heaven invites you to call him Father. Deep, deep love. And don't miss the of heaven part either. Like it's not just sentimental. It's not just love. Literally, it says our father of in the heavens, our father in heaven. You're not just talking to a God of deep love. You're talking to a God of immense power. He's the God of the heavens because he's the one who made the heavens. Yeah, yeah, he's close and near to us when we pray, but he's also high and lifted up, and he has immense resources at his automatic disposal that he wants to utilize to bless you. Love and power, power and love, our Father in heaven. This true view of God is why piling up words to try to impress God totally misses the point. Jesus critiques typical pagan prayer because typical pagan prayer has a wrong view of God. God does not need to be informed of something that he doesn't know. He wants you to talk about him, what's going on in your life, but he doesn't need to be informed of something he doesn't know, and he doesn't need to be persuaded to want to help you. It's not like God's going, well, my arms are crossed, but if you say the right magic words, then maybe, just maybe, I'll loosen them up a little bit for you. No, God is looking at you like this. Open arms. So Jesus says, don't pile up words. Don't try to be fancy. Just come before God and say, our Father in heaven. Jesus gives us a proper way to address God, not because Jesus is concerned with protocol, but because Jesus is concerned with truth. And he wants us to pray in truth to a God who is strong and who loves us. To address God in truth is the starting point and the foundation of all true prayer. So when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. If you want to say other words that say the same thing, that's fine. But when you pray, you recognize, you take some time to just pause. I'm coming into the presence. I'm acknowledging the presence right here of a God of immense power and deep love who is for me, our Father in heaven. Address. Address God. That's what makes prayer, prayer. We'll go through the next two a little bit quicker. Number two, align. Address and then align. To align something, you know what align means, is to put something, pull it back in line, back into correct position. So we align our tires, right, our wheels. So they get all wonky because we're driving all over it, and you get them aligned so that now they're moving in the right direction. I would suggest to you this is a critical part of prayer, that we align ourselves with God's direction. 
And that's what's going on in verses 9 and 10 when he says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're being aligned in this. Hallowed be your name. May your name be regarded as sacred. May be treated as holy. We're asking God, magnify your name, God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. May you be regarded as king. Yet we're praying for God's ultimate kingdom to come. Jesus, come quickly. Yes, and we're also saying in the meantime, may your reign be present in my life and your will be done here. May your will, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're aligning ourselves with God's mission. It's kind of like walking with a toddler. So you know how walking with a toddler is. Like when you walk normally, I was thinking about this yesterday because Carson and I came out of Walmart. When you walk normally, you do this, right? It's pretty easy. We know how to do this for the most part, right? But when you walk with a toddler, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, are your kids not like my kids? Do you know what I'm talking about? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because like I look down and he's trying to jump over all the cracks and make sure he doesn't step on the lines. And he's not thinking about the bigger picture of not getting hit with a car, you know, or where we have to go next. So I have to, al- hey, buddy, like we're trying to get to the car to make it to our next stop. So we got, we got to go, man. We got to roll. I got to align him when we pray. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We're aligning ourselves. Let me give you another way to think about it like this, because I think Jesus takes us to like, um, he just takes us right to the end of the process. Usually it takes us a while to get there, but he wants us to just kind of understand how it works from the start. When it comes to kingdom and power, a lot of times in our natural sinful state, we're like, it's my kingdom by my power. This, usually we're not going to pray when we're thinking like this, but I'm about my kingdom, my name, my will. I want my way and I'm going to make it happen. That's how we typically live. But then we realize I can't do this alone. I need God. And so we start to pray. Uh, it looks, sounds kind of like, okay, my kingdom by his power. This is how kids pray. This is how my daughter prays. Dear, dear God, I pray that, or dear Jesus, that we would sleep well tonight so that we can have an awesome day tomorrow and that we can snuggle all day and we can play outside and we can watch a movie. She wants her way and she wants God to help her. And that's okay because she's seven and she's learning. Then we move beyond this, though, and we're like, okay, that's selfish, so i got to step forward. Then there's another step, though, that's kind of tricky that you might be tempted to just live in and not see. And that's we begin to think, oh, no, it's not about my kingdom, it's about his kingdom. But then our life becomes about his kingdom by my power. Oh, God, I want to be about what you're doing, so I'm going to work for it. And when I pray, it's really going to be about what I do, and I'm going to go make sure this happens. And God's going, no, 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 no. Jesus is going, no, 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 it's his kingdom will and name, by his power. This is why we're praying and not acting right now. We're praying. His kingdom by his power. Our participation, absolutely. You can't pray. You can't pray on a regular basis. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and not have that mess with your life and not become personally involved. Can't happen. But your participation and your obedience and submission are secondary because right now we're asking God to do something. So here's what to do. Our Father in heaven, God, thank you for being a God of great power and love. Think through your day. What do you got to do at 10 o'clock? Okay, at 10, whatever happened, whatever, whatever's happening at 10 o'clock, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you going to do this evening? May your name be regarded as holy. You talk through these things and you align all of it with what God is doing. In prayer, you take time to align yourself with him. Make sense? Last piece, number three, ask. Ask. We ask for what we need. So prayer is more than asking for what we need, but it's not less than asking for what we need. Sometimes people will act like, well, real prayer or mature prayer or true prayer is not about asking God to help us. Okay, like that's just baby prayer. Not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, grown-up prayer is prayer that asks God for help. We already read the ask, seek, knock part. 
I think Jesus would say that you honor God by asking for his help with what's going on in your life. Our personal needs are not where we start. No, we don't start there, but they're not excluded from what prayer is really about. And what Jesus gives us in the back half of this prayer is threefold permission to ask, to petition God for what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. We ask for help with our material needs, for God to provide for us. We pray for provision, not for our greeds, not so that we have everything we could ever want. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't even think I need to unpack this because it's fairly clear. Give me enough for today, God. Provide for my needs that are right in front of me. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray for provision. Then we pray for, for the old word is pardon, forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, God. I know I owe you, God, but forgive us our debts as I also have forgiven those who have a debt to me. It's not, by the way, it's not like if you don't forgive, God won't forgive. It's if you don't forgive others, you don't yet understand how much God has forgiven you. And if you come into the presence of God, a lot of the times the reason why we don't pray is because we know we're not perfect. I'm thankful that God, that Jesus gave us something to say in this regard. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We pray for our material needs, then our spiritual needs, and then our moral needs as well. Keep me safe, God. Keep me protected. Do not let me fall into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation, which means don't let me fall when I'm tempted, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask for help. We ask for help. We ask for help. Three types of help that Jesus refers to here, and I think it pretty much covers all of our needs. It's a regular assault on our pride. It's a regular reminder that we can't figure this out on our own, so we pray. We address God, we align ourselves with him, and then we ask him for help. One last thing, and then we'll be done. One of my favorite books on prayer is a super simple book called Approaching God by Steve Brown. And he talks in there about how he was a pastor and he was working in his studies, working on some sermon or lesson or whatever. And some lady busts into his office and says, pastor, I got to tell you something. He's like, okay, what do you got? And uh, she said, I was at a Bible study the other day and somebody said something that uh, stuck with me. And what she said was, talking about prayer, she said, it's hard to hug a stiff kid. And he's like, oh, that's, that's true. I totally get that. Like you think about if you're teenagers who don't want you to touch them, it's kind of hard. If your kids are being stiff or if you, like I don't want to be vulnerable, it's just hard to hug a person who's really stiff. And then she said, no, but that's not it. Because after that Bible study, I went to the place where I watched these kids and I walked in and there's this two and a half year old that I watch on a regular basis and he's a sweet little kid. I love this kid. And I come in and he's a total mess. He's been playing in the dirt. So he's grimy and dirty and just, just absolute mess. And he sees me and he looks up and he starts to cry and he lifts his hands up and says, will you hold me, hug me? And she said, you know what? She said, you know what I learned in that moment, pastor? And he said, what did you learn? And she said, I learned that it's easier to hug a dirty kid than it is to hug a stiff kid. So here's the thing, like don't stay out of God's presence because you think you're not perfect, because you think you're dirty. If you're in Christ, you're covered by his blood. And so you belong there even though you are dirty. Don't stay away from God because you don't wanna be vulnerable or because you don't know what to say. It's not about having the magic words. It's about addressing a God of immense power and immense love. God is waiting for us to enter into his presence. Let's not make him wait any longer. Let me lead us in a prayer. I'm just gonna pray through the Lord's prayer for us and then, uh, and then we'll worship and be done. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge your presence in the room and we're grateful for your love and for your power and we come to you trusting and trying to trust that you are capable of taking care of us and that you are willing to do so. You are our Father in heaven. We do pray, God, that your name would be regarded as holy in our hearts, in our lives, in the life of this church, in our community, in our world. We pray that you would magnify your name so people come to know who you are. We do pray that your kingdom will come. We look forward to Jesus' return. Come today if it be your will. And if not, help us to live in your reign for now. 
May your kingdom come and may your will be done in our lives on this earth as it is in heaven. And indeed, God, we ask you to give us this day the things that we need for today, for bread, for sustenance, provide for our needs. We also ask for forgiveness. We don't deserve to be in your presence and we're grateful that that doesn't mean we're not invited. So we ask you to forgive us and help us to know this forgiveness in such a way that we can't help but extend it to others when they don't deserve to be in our presence. And we also ask that you would lead us not into temptation. Let us not fall when we find ourselves tempted by the things going on around us. Let us stand, be with us, strengthen us, help us to be strong and not overcome by the evil one. And though the words probably weren't in the original Jesus, the church added them later and I think you're fine with them. So we end by saying, just for your kingdom and glory and power forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.